Hello, welcome to Dustbusters, your inseparable companion podcast to His Dark Materials. I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm a huge fan of the original Dark Materials novels. And I'm Louisa Maycock, and I have spent the last eight weeks trying to decide whether I too can be a fan of His Dark Materials. The podcast is supported by Penguin Random House, who publish Philip Pullman's work. If you're curious about what happens after His Dark Materials, then The Book of Dust, The Secret Commonwealth, which is set after the Dark Materials story, but still follows Lyra, is out now. It's available in hardback, ebook and audio, which is read by Michael Sheen. Now, listeners will know that every week we've had a guest who has revealed their own personal journey into the world of His Dark Materials, whether they may be super fans, partners of fans who have garnered knowledge through attrition, or complete novices to the stories altogether. But there has been one journey into the worlds of Dark Materials that has been the most important to this show. So this week's guest is Louisa Maycock. Hello, Jake. Thank you for having me onto the podcast again. <laughs> for the eighth week running. <laughs> yeah. Wow, what a we pleasure. We made it. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, arguably this is, you're the most important guest because you are, you are the person who I'm having to try and convince to the value of these mm. stories um, and what a journey it's been. It has been. It's gone so quickly. Yeah. Uh, let's quickly recap for maybe the listeners that have joined us a bit later on. Uh, so what were your feelings in advance of this TV series as to what Dark Materials was? Um, it seemed so large and so complicated that my, the easiest thing for me to do was to just ignore it mm. and it was such a huge blind spot in my sort of literary and cultural fabric that I just thought it's like if you know if you've if someone's never started listening to Radiohead mm. and you're trying to convince someone to listen to Radiohead but it just feels too gigantic and you don't know where to start and also a bit like when someone in this case me mm -hmm love something a lot and yeah. tells you how much they love it and say, yeah. like, oh you love it it's so good it's so good yeah and the more that they say that yeah the more you think oh i i don't care like <laughs> if your parents like the music you listen to when you're a yeah. teenager it just puts you off but yeah. i i have tr i have tried yeah. i think in back in episode one i said how i tried reading the first book and just it hadn't gripped me and i gave up mm. um but yeah it's definitely been I often quite like to go into films, plays and whatever, without reading up anything around, because I think it, it allows me to just um, rely on sort of more guttural emotions rather than having a lot of other people's opinions uh, messing up my, my thoughts. Mm, so okay. I've, I think I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't hate myself as much as I thought I would. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what a, what a lovely message. People <laughs> should print that on T-shirts. Around um, Christmas. Yeah. Um, oh, maybe I should print that on a T-shirt. Yeah. Seeing as my profession is that. Yes. <laughs> so I think let's get up to speed with where we are at as viewers of this show. Each week we've kind of looked back on the preceding episode, what's come before it, and how our expectations have been met by this series. And over eight episodes, how do you think your feelings have ebbed and flowed through the series? I think it's taken me almost until this very final episode to actually be invested. For the first maybe four episodes, I thought, oh gosh, what is wrong with me? Do I have some sort of huge thing missing in my make up that I can't get connected to this because it's if, if you listen back to our episodes interestingly your like immediate reaction well after we've watched yeah. it and we recorded the episode is like all lies it, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, but like the if you kind of think of it in short-term memory and long-term yeah. memory mm -hmm. the short term is positive yeah but as it's got on and you look back on those mm -hmm. episodes you're finding yourself yeah being less inclined towards them well in sort of in my inner monologue at the beginning i was worried mm. because it's always tricky when someone tells you to watch something and i get this whatever it is 
th- there's just something in the hum- human nature that makes you just not want to watch it. <laughs> Particularly hard when you're doing a podcast around it. Exactly. And so you live you, together. So you see my conundrum. But I also th- sort of had a conversation with myself like, buck up, come on, think of this, you know, throw away your feelings and just come to this with fresh eyes or try and see it through Jake's eyes. Here there have definitely been moments where I've been like, wow, this is amazing. I should read the books. Mm. Whether that will actually happen, we'll have to we'll have to see. I have got a quite a pile of things to read. Yes. What are you reading at the moment? Little Women. Oh, Another blind I'd blind spot in my Yeah, and I think that one history. also contains armored polar bears and oh, yeah, balloonists sure. and magic and witches. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Um and then like more recent memory last week, the last couple of weeks, I mm-hmm. think um, on the show, we've definitely swung towards the negative. I would mm-hmm. say episode seven yeah. is the one where we've kind of universally agreed in the room that we were we were generally disappointed with that yeah. episode. And I think it just always came back to pacing mm-hmm. and they were just trying to do a lot of data dumps. And everything was rushed and things weren't given enough time to play out properly and breathe so that we were really emotionally invested. But that's where episode eight Mm. comes in and completely flips that. Yeah. Okay. So you've kind of, you've lit up there at the mention of Mm -hmm. episode eight and perhaps that's a good sign to move on to it. I'll quickly do a recap. Uh, as is the spirit of this show, it's it's required to do a data dump before you delve into <laughs> any new territory. Um, last week we had the battle, uh, or perhaps skirmish, mm. of Svalbard. It was just a, a slight fisticuffs. A minor kerfuffle. Um, <laughs> uh, Lyra tricked the reigning king of the Panzerbjorn, Jofa Ragnarsson, into battling her polar pal, Yorick Bernison, and ultimately relinquished his crown to him. She then made her way, finally, to Lord Asriel, who we now know is her real father, who's been experimenting with the Northern Lights and what may lie beyond them. He's very angry that she's arrived, but seems very happy when she reveals that she's brought along a friend. Why wouldn't you be happy to see Roger yeah, I mean, at your door? Roger's a pal, isn't he? Roger's just a lovely lad who brings you sausages. He is my pal. Yeah. Me and Roger. Yeah. Uh, lovely Roger. Uh And this week, we see that there has been a war waged on Lord Asriel as Mrs. Coulter and the entire Magisterium figure out what he's planning on doing with his experiments. And on the ground, Lyra has her own investigations into what he's up to. And of course, we have our moment over in our world with Will, who we last saw killing a man and leaving on the run who is on the search for the ultimate getaway. Louis, Mm -hmm. we're on to episode eight. You've already given us a clue that you think this one is good, that this has reinvigorated your faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's definitely a weighted word in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're, you're happy to be back on this journey. Yeah. Yeah, it had it had a lot that I was expecting and hoping for. What you were expecting? Well, yeah, I was sort of. I thought. I mean, obviously, I don't have the same expectations because I don't know what's happening. But I was expecting that there'd be some sort of uh, reunion between Lyra and Azriel, which we got. Although I don't think it was as much emotional payoff as I was hoping for but is that maybe how it should be yes it was a sort of nice tennis match between them Mm. sort of pulling and tugging yeah and and a a good one for putting a a harsh mirror up to uh children's expectations of their parents oh gosh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) um that that line that lyra says to him well well we'll we'll get into am i jumping ahead yeah sorry um Let's start with where we left off. Uh, Svalbard, uh, Bolvangar. I've already forgotten. What yeah, they, is Svalbard? What was Svalbard? Svalbard was the, the polar bear kingdom. Oh, that's lost, so lost. Yeah. Week. I mean, it, th- those events do feel kind of inconsequential. Mm-hmm. And I'll do my weekly pull the book reader card and say that 
Bolvangar, the breakout of the kids, uh, Svalbard as well. These are huge. They're like monumental and they, they feel as much as a finale climactic event as what we see in this episode do. Mm -hmm. And as we said last week, they, they don't quite nail that. And we needed to spend a bit more time in those locations with those characters. It's all about the journey, Jake. It is, Louis, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, in our recap at the start of this episode, um, clever little reminder with some voiceover there reminding us that Lyra will do a great betrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that, that is essential. But we begin, uh, with this episode feeling like it's got such a huge scale. It's mega, isn't it? This is like the super expensive Game of Thrones episodes or a feature film. This is huge. We've said that the previous ones have kind of lacked in that respect you don't feel like you know the polar bear kingdom or oxford or bolvangar but we've got these submarines style airships they feel like they've been lifted straight out of russian waters from the soviet war yeah it's this great aesthetic it ties to the dogmatic blind faith and fear that's central to the magisterium and that's how we begin this episode. And immediately we feel like, oh, this is a war war. Mm-hmm. This isn't like a kid's idea of a war. Like this isn't just a little battle between Lyra and Lord Asriel. This is actually the world at stake. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like that sense of scale was elevated in this episode? Oh, definitely. I think Mrs. Coulter is presented as having a sort of great aim. Mm. And there's, she has her, I feel like she was, she's powerful again in this episode. I think she was, her power was wavering slightly. Yeah, absolutely. And we're finally getting kind of full power, Asriel, Mrs. Coulter and Lyra all in the same episode, Mm -hmm. which we haven't really seen. We've had hints at who Asriel might be. I don't know. Maybe it's it's the kind of thing like. Nice family reunion. It's quite impressive to cast James McAvoy in your BBC Sunday night show. <laughs> so maybe we should have thought, yeah, he's probably only really going to be in a handful of this. But when he's in it yeah. and he's, he is... Uh, I have to say, as someone coming to this with no previous uh, sort of relationship with the original texts, if there had been more James McAvoy, I would have been able to show up more fully. Yeah? Yeah. And It was a relief to see him again on screen. So can you imagine Asriel as Daniel Craig? Absolutely not. No? What's the key difference? Well, you can't compare Daniel Craig and James McAvoy, Jake. They're two different people entirely. Um, And I feel like Daniel Craig just is James Bond now, whereas mm. James McAvoy hasn't had that sort of... He's a cracking actor, but he hasn't had that sort of that huge monumental role yet. Yeah. He's- well, I also, and I think that Bond thing is key. Like yeah. now we think of Craig as kind of prim and proper yeah. and he, he's, he's a threat, but he's also quite, uh, he's contained mm. within that tuxedo. He can't escape yeah. it. And McAvoy's got that kind of renegade Indiana Jones. Slightly more unhinged. Yeah. You don't, you don't know what he's thinking. Yeah. I can't imagine as real as anyone else now. Yeah, well, we yeah we we've mentioned it a few times. We must watch the Golden Compass now that we finished the series. I think that so, might be on the cards over the Christmas break. Yeah, have to do it. Um, so Mrs. Coulter, a uh, bit of a weird shot of her picking up a pistol, very much a Chekhov's gun type thing. Like just add some drama, show her holding a gun. Yeah, it minorly pays off later on. Yeah, but just a, you're a, you're not crazy about the idea of guns and no, this, um, are you? it sort of is quite. Um, um yeah maybe, maybe i'm just more sensitive to it than to other guns. listeners yeah um i i mean i'm putting it out there folks guns not a fan of guns yeah <laughs> um and i know it's maybe a little uh snowflake of me to say that there shouldn't be too many guns in a sunday night tv show that a lot of kids are going to be watching um particularly because this one felt kind of uh, dismissive like it didn't, it didn't need to be there yeah um and i know I'm talking- because she's surrounded by armed people anyway yes um and we'll get into that and i'll get into my own contradictions when i say some of this stuff is really cool yeah um 
something that I do think is really cool that's set up from the very start. And we don't often talk about the technical aspects of the show, but gosh, the lighting mm-hmm. in this one. Whew. It's beautiful, isn't it? Light and dark. Mm. But because so much of this episode is set around the Northern Lights in Asriel's laboratory or on these airships that Miss Coulter and the Magisterium are commanding. They've got these big windows. They're just letting in the aurora. Mm-hmm. And so it just means everyone's face is constantly flickering in these green and purple and pink lights. And it's a, just such a beautiful episode to watch mm. for more reasons than yeah. just the the plot and the events that are unfolding. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I really liked about it is when it does flip over for a few moments into our world and what's happening with Will. Maybe this was just a coincidence on the day of filming, but the, there's a hint of pink that's merging with the blue in the sky. And I love that idea. Oh, I didn't that, notice this, I have to admit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I just thought, God, that's that's really smart that mm-hmm. we know that these stories will converge yeah. and that idea of literally and bringing in the light and the color from Lyra's world into ours. Mm. Wonderful. But let's let's get into Lyra's world because there's there's a lot to cover <laughs> in this one. So uh, Lyra, she's arrived at Azrael's laboratory. He's angry. He didn't send for her. Good one. I like that. That's <laughs> uh, that's from the book, and it's a lovely delivery. But then he's very happy to see Roger, and for us, we don't disconcerting. Know. We don't know why. Yeah, we're worried. But Lyra, she's obviously still caught up in that lovely Lord Azriel, yeah, charming dad that never loved me she's got so much to give and she gives him like a proper smile Mm. like she's really happy Mm. and we've gone on such a journey with lyra and it was only really at this moment that i looked all the way back to maybe her bouncing off of the rooftops with roger that i thought god is that the last time that we actually saw her innocently happy about something she's had a lot of things to worry about jake And what makes that smile for us as viewers so hard that we've been set up in a way to know that Azriel's up to something. Mm. And so we've got this juxtaposition of seeing Lyra, who we've spent so much time with, finally happy about something, knowing that surely it cannot be. I really was wishing that it wasn't like that. Yeah. But we do get this... uh, this tennis mm. between her and Asriel, something that we haven't really had since way back when. And we didn't really get much because remember, Lyra was locked in a cupboard and yeah. had to watch all that conversation from inside. I was actually surprised by how restrained Lyra was. Yeah. You imagine that she's she's seeing this man for the first time after finding out that he's her estranged father. You'd have so many questions. You'd have... You'd want to know so much, but she is incredibly measured. Oh, yeah. Um, she really downplays it. and She just says, it's been quite a journey to get here. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's she's annoyed because um, she's, you know, battled the elements and the odds and seen a mindly worrying bear fight. Mm. And he's dismissing her. Yeah. And you kind of want her or his dismissal of her as his daughter to have some kind of some biblical good meaning to it, that it was to protect her or something like that. But mm. we never get that. It's never yeah. that easy. Sometimes parents can actually just be bad people. I have a, to their I have children. A, a slight bone to pick. Okay. With Philip Pullman. Right. I don't know how I feel about Asriel's, the whole thing that maybe it's coming across as like, what if men could just have feelings? <laughs> right. In this episode, you know, he re- he really is just like, typically like, oh, I don't kind of have feelings, I'm shutting them off. Yeah. And but I he just, is giving that to a character who we are telegraphed to be bad. Are we though? Well, oh, this is interesting. Because I think this episode goes too far in the way of, showing him as a baddie and i think what is interesting about asriel is that we shouldn't necessarily despite the horrific acts that we see him befell on people 
we shouldn't always think he's there should, we should be more we, of an like, ambiguity it, there we should yeah. be a little bit like lyra we should have it in the back of our mind like what if you know yeah what if he could still be good what if indiana jones was still in there yeah um but you you but you do see that kind maybe of maybe it's just because it's james McAvoy. it's that lovely gray streak in his hair yeah it does look good um but th- there's some really wonderful dialogue between them and i think daphne Keene holds the weight of it mm-hmm. credit to her um heartbreaking when she says she would have been proud to be his daughter if she had just known there's i made a note she says call yourself a father and he says well that's rather the point i've never called myself a father yeah oh he's brutal and cuts through like a knife and i think back to a very subtle knife mm, maybe not so subtle <laughs> um and think back to episode one, where remember when Roger said that Lyra was special. At that point, we didn't know that Lyra was Asriel's daughter, but obviously he did. And he said, no one's special. Mm. I'm really feeling that disregard towards her. But no, it's just because he's afraid of his feelings. Yeah? You think that's what it is? Yeah, he hasn't been taught. Lord Asriel needs a little therapy. He needs to be sat down and, yeah, he needs to get in touch with himself. He just needs a little hug. More than a hug, like maybe <laughs> 10 to 15 sessions weekly. Yes. All right. That has been subscribed from Dr. Lou. <laughs> uh, Please don't take my advice, anyone. No. Um, so let's see what's happening with Mrs. Coulter. There's something going on with her and the monkey. And We need to talk about Mrs. Coulter. Yeah. That's, oh, that was a weird scene, a weird moment that just sort of goes unmentioned and yep. sort of is just, definitely feels like we shouldn't be seeing it yeah yeah and then she's someone walks in and is interrupted and she's like oh yeah it feels like a little bit like a peek through a teenager's door moment uh i'm not sure though whether it's that no she's got her hand on her monkey's head yeah is she pushing him down or like squeezing it scratching it in a way yeah they're definitely not happy about it no but are they happy in their pain is it a self-mutilation thing that they have to go through to deal with their own turmoil think it's like a self-harm thing i think perhaps it is but the way that it was framed as slightly voyeuristic and we had that surprise from oh. her uh that's why it kind of read as maybe sadomasochistic to me um have we seen, has there been any physical touch between her and her demon thus far? There was a slap. Oh, there was a slap. But yes, perhaps we are seeing that the the contact between them is, pain, is violent. Violent. Um, yeah. But obviously she, when she causes the pain to the demon, she feels the pain herself. So mm. it is a, yeah, like you said, a sort of sadomasochistic thing. Yeah. God. The relationship between demons and humans is so fascinating. And um, this episode yeah, goes into I, that a lot. Once you do get the chance, listeners, to to read on or if we do watch on all the way into the maybe the Book of Dust books as well, how that is explored is fascinating. Um, but once she <laughs> once she's been uh, revealed, <laughs> then she has a chat with Father MacPhail about what sin he has and why it is envy and this is a really good ruth wilson moment she is being so so good in this episode and we mentioned there's been a few episodes where she's either been missing or we've just had one scene of her and now it's so good to Mm. have like full long scenes of her just absolutely twisting men around her little it was really sort of crippling them with words her delivery and her cadence of that particular in that particular scene is so sort of villainous how she talks about what is your sin Mm. and she goes through all the different sins yeah and then she's just sort of crushes him and she says that he's just jealous that he doesn't have as much power as she or asriel yeah father mcphail gets done over in this episode Uh, it's quite satisfying actually shall we visit upon our world briefly and what's happening with lord boreal and will uh Boreal has had an alethiometer read for him. Uh, I don't know how much you've really thought about this, Louis, but within the magisterium, the fact that the alethiometer takes 
people weeks to read and they mm-hmm. can't fully interpret it yeah. compared to Lyra who can read the alethiometer in a matter of seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know whether you've considered that at all uh, or why that might be. But Boreal's reading of the alethiometer has told him that there's a knife in a tower surrounded by angels oh, yeah. and his son will lead you. His son being John Parry's son. That's uh, Will. Yes, John. Our old mate, Will. Our old mate, Will. And you, before we started recording, kind of rolled your eyes at me to say like, oh, do we have to talk about the knife? Who cares about the knife? Do you care about the knife? I just feel like maybe they should have kept going into our world for the next season. Mm. I just can't. I feel like I'm torn, you know. I don't know who to invest my time and my energy with. Yep, I think that's fair. Ben mentioned it in episode seven, and that's the first time that I really considered, should we have seen Will? Because I was so caught up in the fact that we were seeing Will and the start of the Subtle Knife story. just think it would have been so mind-blowing if we'd just been in Lyra's world for these whole like eight hours and then... Bam, season two. And we're in a different... We're in our world. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, but... Boreal is just spending a lot of time talking about this knife. Yeah. And... It's a bit... Sounds a bit silly though, doesn't it? Does it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose when you try to explain the subtle knife, the idea that there are these other worlds and these yeah, portals between them... Yeah, if you did just dump that all at the start of episode one of season two that might have been weird yeah however i throw this to you louis we are big fans of the leftovers yes we are do you remember this season two episode one where we are with a brand new family mm-hmm. and we learn all about their lives and how the effects of two percent of the population of the world disappearing how that affected them mm-hmm. and we don't see any of the characters yeah until literally or any of the characters that we know from season one until the final shot of that episode. That would have been cool. That's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, it's so, so good. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I wonder whether that Mm. could have been an option. Who knows? Okay, um, let's get back to business and talk about Asriel, Roger, Lyra, and the jolly old time they have just playing around in the laboratory. Mm. There's a lovely, one of my favourite Roger-Lyra scenes from this Mm. episode is when... um, She's in a bath, Lyra's second bath of the season. Um, And Roger wants to come in and talk to her because obviously he's worried about why Asriel is so pleased to see him. Mm. And um, he he backs in without looking at her, obviously, because she's in the bath. And it sort of made me feel sad because it shows that, you know, it's that moment where children are suddenly becoming aware of their bodies. And... um, they're no longer sort of innocent and just children. Why are you looking at me like that? Well, is that not so much what this episode <laughs> gets into with with dust and yeah. everything that we've seen for eight hours? And it and it's like, oh, they're they're suddenly realizing what shame is. Yeah. And it made me feel really sad because yeah. you know, when you're a child you can run around with no clothes on and you go to the beach and stuff and it's wonderful and no one bats an eyelid. But then there is, when is that moment where you suddenly, where you decide, oh, I I can't do that anymore because it's inappropriate. Mm, Yeah. And we do see still hints of that innocence. So it's not like they're suddenly like teenagers going out and boozing down the park with a bottle of white lightning. Um, But you get weird. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Maybe that's one for our world instead. But like the shots of their demons playing together in the kitchen. Oh, so sweet. Yeah. That was one of my favourites. Yeah. Um, but I think that is the perfect segue onto this conversation about dust. Mm. And that is dust with a capital D. And we really get into it in this one, don't we? So this is, of course, what Lord Asriel has been investigating. He took that photogram of the sky. There's a city beyond the Northern Lights mm. and between... Him and there is dust raining down upon us. She asks, I, I loved that we th- there was a sort of 
um, backwards and forwards between there was that initial scene between Azrael and Lyra when you think, oh, he's not going to give her anything. Mm. And then he seems to have a change of heart yeah. and he wakes her and they have this big, big conversation about yeah. dust. Yeah. So, and that conversation starts with, truth is, I don't know. <laughs> I thought, please don't leave it at that. <laughs> please. Um, but I've, I've, I wrote down a few lines here and I'll, I'll recap them for the listeners in, in case they didn't catch them. So dust, the magisterium th- says they think it is a sin and it rains. Not just a sin, just sin. Mm, the original sin. sin. Yeah. Um, and it rains down from the sky and covers us in evil and it settles on us when our demons settle and we've learned from this story that demons settle. They can change what form they appear in, uh, whether that's a, a dog or a woolly mammoth. <laughs> They're or extinct, a Jake. Hey, you don't know that. <laughs> Pullman has never said that woolly mammoths aren't extinct um, in Lyra's world. And then when you're a teenager or you go through adolescence, they settle down on one. And there is a fantastic alternate adam and eve story this absolutely blew my mind yeah i i love stuff like this okay so that eve ate the apple she was in the garden of eden and her demon was bouncing around she's an adult member eve and her demon can still move around and change and she eats the apple she's tempted and the demon settles Mm -hmm. and so that in lyra's world is the comparison of the shame the knowledge yeah she eats the apple and then adam and eve cover themselves yeah so do you get a now a sense from that what Mrs. Coulter and the Magisterium were up to? Mm-hmm. You kind of see their twisted logic behind wanting to separate children and demons. They're wanting to preserve the innocence of the soul. Yeah, gosh. It's big, isn't it? It's big. Yeah. Uh, so, but he also says that the alethiometer works with dust. Mm-hmm. I wonder what Eve's demon is. Doesn't say, does it? No. But remember it because she's pre-eating the apple, so her demon hasn't settled. No, but when it has, when it does settle, oh, when when she eats the apple, mm. I wonder what it was. Yeah, that's a good point. Is that mentioned in it's not the original text? No, no. Um, but I'd love to get Philip, a, if you're listening. Yeah, send me an email. Philip, can you do a spin-off text that is just uh, rewriting the, the, the Lyra's Bible. World Bible? Oh my god, that would be amazing. Yeah, um, I absolutely. This, this, I think this was my favourite part of this episode. Yeah. Because it, it adds a whole other layer to Mrs. Coulter that just wasn't there. And it's sort of things slip into place and you see maybe why she is the way she is. That Mrs. Coulter, obviously, well, I thought this was quite obvious. The comparison we're supposed to draw is that she is the Eve character. Well, it's interesting you say this because there is definitely a, an alternate Adam and Eve comparison through other characters in the yeah. book that we haven't explored fully yet, and we will. But I think you're absolutely right with that one as well. And Pullman himself has said that he's absolutely open to people taking their their interpretation to this, but also not being strict about what the comparable texts are. Yeah, Of course, this is drawn a lot from Paradise Lost, but it's not meant to be this equals that equals that equals that equals that. Yeah. And there are comparisons to Bible stories as well. Mm-hmm. But you're not meant to just say this is a retelling. No, no, no. But one interpretation could be that Mrs. Coulter is the embodiment of sort of post moment of Oh, yeah, Shame. I mean, the temptation of Azrael. Uh, yeah, because she was, you know, she was married to a, good man mm. she was on her way up and then Azriel comes along and he is the, he is the serpent or the apple yeah <laughs> or both i think like that she had this as you say quote unquote good life and how that crumbled due to her inability yeah to refrain from sin mm-hmm. oh it's riddled with that lovely catholic guilt isn't yeah, it yeah and it's you know it's another thing where it's women being punished for their sexuality mm. yeah And that's something that we will get into, hopefully, later on in the series as well. But uh, let's let's get out of... We could have done a whole episode just on 
this because it's so rich. Yes, it is. And that is why I love these books so much. And why, again, I wish I I had them when I was attending a Catholic school. And it's also sort of, if we if we abide by what the magisterium and the authorities want us to believe, saying children are born guilty, Mm. just... Okay, also, that's reminding me, I have another question. Okay. Regarding demons. Yes. Okay, so a a baby is born. Yes. Does the demon... Is the demon also born from the mother, or does it just show up from day one? We've seen demons die, haven't we? Uh And that they kind of just disappear okay and i think that when someone in lyra's world is born that the demon appears what that's how it is literally from the moment the baby takes first breath or yeah yeah that's how i think amazing although maybe i would say i've never thought of this before uh maybe the cutting of the umbilical cord because that is when they are independent well, not independent, but no, not a, a physical part of the yeah, mother and anymore. Like, let's yeah. say that that is where, whoosh, yeah, puff, and then there's a demon. Mm. Yeah, um, good question, uh, <laughs> Philip. If you're listening, let us know. Again, <laughs> you can write in on a yeah. an address postcard. Uh, yeah, Philip, we've got some sweet gear on Twitter. If you want to win some merch, <laughs> um, so uh, there's this great conversation about dust and. Lyra and Asriel hashing it out. It's fascinating. And then he's a complete and utter... Why are you putting your hand up? Uh, because we... Why are you putting your... <laughs> <laughs> putting your hand up? Well, I didn't want you to go on without... We've missed a c- crucial, crucial <laughs> moment between okay. Asriel and Lyra. Right. Where, again, it's that sort of backwards and forwards. And his parting words to her yeah. was, you don't come from nothing... Lyra, you are the product of something extraordinary. Mm. Oh, what do we think about that? Well, I think Lyra is extraordinary, which is an interesting contradiction to what he specifically said. Yeah, all he's those battling with his ago. feelings. Yeah. And this is what Mrs. Coulter is battling with as well, that she, in the outside world, everyone else does not care for children or demons or innocence or anything like that in the way that we might interpret it or love at all but she was not willing to put lyra through the demon cage Mm. and they are both wrestling in their own quite fantasy soap opera way about how to deal with their own family Mm. you can move on now okay thank you (laughs) um so asriel has taken roger he's going to cut him i absolutely hate to see it and Lyra bursts out of the laboratory and Yorick is just hanging out. <laughs> no, this is so good. She just shrieks. Yeah. And he just appears like, Lyra, I am here. <laughs> this, I, this is fine that Yorick and all the bears are just hanging out under the lab. <laughs> what are they doing? Yeah, but I, I thought... Like the way that the previous episode left it, Yorick is king now and he's got a palace and things to do and to rule over people. And like, if there had just been a, a like throwaway line to say, and Lyra, I'm going to chill here <laughs> under the lab for a day or two with my pals. Um, fine. But just a bit weird that she could shout. Summon him. Yes. He's just he- there waiting for her to need him, I guess. Yeah. Um, Yorick but- is daddy. Yorick is daddy. Yes, he really is. Um, <laughs> but they charge on to go and get Asriel and Roger. Because he's he's taken him atop of the mount at the top of the mountain. Yes, and Asriel has built himself his own demon cage and he's gonna be doing his own cutting because the cutting of a demon from a child releases a beam of energy that is more powerful than anything else and he's got these admirations of getting into that city in the sky prior to that though there's a really good fight Mm -hmm. the bear fight it is huge like the scale of this is mega the cinematography is amazing it's proper 
Dunkirk, Revenant stuff. We are right in the middle of it. There are bears flying. There are bullets flying. There are airships on top of us. Uh, there are these intense close-up single-take tracking shots following Lyra as she hits the ground. The sound design, amazing. Everything drops out and we've got that ringing in our ears and the big blasts of gunfire turn into these pew pew pews that kind of build up again in the soundscape we are absolutely within it and as much as i loved it i did then also think oh this could have been volvangar this could have been svalbard if you can make these battles like this let's hope we get more of them later on i really loved the detail of um mrs coulter's paratroopers their demons being eagles and other birds the paratroopers so 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 cool um so lorne balf does the music for this and lorne balf also did mission impossible music okay that makes sense and in mission impossible fallout there's an amazing bit where tom cruise jumps out of an airplane and it's all done in one take so it meant that they had a camera operator in the airplane as well who just had to jump after him and i was instantly reminded of that and lorne balf has finally, I think, in the show, met a dramatic moment that absolutely suits the size of the music that he's doing in Mission Impossible as well. It just felt like everything was coming together so, so well. It's this brassy, epic feel to it that's amazing. And yeah, I I want more of that. It was great. I was so excited. Mm. Um, And it is quite funny that prior to this, we're just like cutting back to Will whose scene is like him refreshing his phone. Just like sneaking around in cafes. Yeah. He was acting so guiltily. Yeah. I did think... Well, he if has on, killed a person. But if you're on the run... Yeah. Don't... I mean, this is going to make me sound like I'm a psychopath, but obviously you wouldn't act in such a guilty... If there's a police person, you wouldn't look at them <laughs> and then like put your hood up and look worried. Come on, Will. Do better. <laughs> that is fair. And I think we maybe got a little too much of him. Uh, there was just this long lingering shot of him walking down a street mm-hmm. and I thought, give me the bears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So we, we have the bear fight. We get to the mountain. We see Asriel, uh grabbing Roger oh. and his demon. Nasty, nasty. His, Asriel's demon, he gets Roger and then Asriel's demon gets Roger's demon. Mm. And it's, oh, it's horrible. Yep. And they throw them in the cages and we get, we're going back to these big kind of grandiose statements. Uh, This is a war to free humanity. And we've said before that when we've heard these statements, they haven't quite felt like they fit what we're actually seeing on screen. But I think finally we're getting to that point. Yeah. Like these are Lord of the Rings size lines and they're matching what we're seeing and i think it really heightens the idea that roger is just a lamb for the slaughter Mm. he's cannon fodder we've got to talk about it louis this is for seven episodes whenever you've said oh i love roger i love roger so much roger's my favorite and i've actually had texts from friends of the show saying i'm really worried about louis when she finds out about Roger. I'm not, I'm not okay. Yeah. Roger dies. No, it's it's not okay. It's a lot, isn't it? I think we should take a moment of silence for Roger. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, the, the blade goes down, Roger's demon disappears and Roger's just there dead. This is a child who's just been killed mm. by the father figure who we've meant to be admiring for eight hours or however many pages. Were you expecting that? No. I wasn't expecting the sort of disregard for human life mm. so much. Um, that was the moment when I was like, oh, this is definitely not a children's show. Mm-hmm. Because I had this funny feeling throughout this episode because, I, I, as I've said, I think it's thrilling. I think it's beautiful. And there's so much in this episode that I think is so impressive and should be what His Art Materials is as a world to get enveloped in. 
But I was reminded throughout of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino film, which is set around the period of the Manson murders. And what I love so much about that film is its sense of time and space and setting and character and being able to get lost in them. But all the while, as I was watching it, I have this twist in my stomach, knowing where this story may or may not lead. Well, it's like every time I read or watch Romeo and Juliet, Mm. I always think, maybe this time it'll be different. The love is too pure. Mm. It will overcome. But then, yeah, it's not so simple. It's not. But um, Roger's death does lead to something quite stunning. Mm. The bridge to the sky. Amazing. Yeah, it looks cracking. Um, it's the, This jet shoots up this rainbow bridge um, or portal. I literally, maybe this is just me being a bad reader. Uh, I always imagined a bridge bridge, like not a, not a bridge like a portal bridge. Yeah. Uh, like, imagine, imagine like the fourth road bridge, mm-hmm. but made of diamonds extending <laughs> into the sky. And I just literally imagined a bridge. Um, however, this version I'm willing to accept. It looks amazing. And there's a shot of Lyra walking through it. Mm. And it's these like sh- rainbow shards. It's quite psych- side psychedelic, of- doesn't it? Yeah, it's quite 2001 yeah. Stargate stuff. And that looks brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, but is is that enough for the life of Roger? No. Particularly cruel that Lord Asriel is saying that this is the beginning of a war that will mean no more abuse. Ironic much? <laughs> Bit of a hypocrite. Mm. Uh, what do you think of that? The war on the authority. I have to admit, I wasn't quite sure what the war was. What do you what do you think? What do I think the war? Yeah. It's okay, so is it religion? God? (laughs) Jake's nodding at me. Imagine. Fighting God. Yeah. Doesn't he say something about creating new gods? Well did I make that up? He says that he's going to start his own republic of heaven. Sounds a little bit culty. Does it? Yeah, you know when who said that the quickest way to make a million dollars is to create a new church? L. Ron Hubbard, the yeah. guy that made Scientology. Mm. Okay, that's interesting <laughs> that that's your read on it because this comes at a different place than in the books, that like specific wording. And I really love that wording and what it means. And it's interesting that you have viewed that wording in a different way. Yeah, because there hasn't been and the any ca- any discussion of... It's all been quite sort of ground, I mean, maybe not grounded, but there hasn't really been too much discussion of a sort of higher power. Mm. So now we're suddenly literally like in the sky. Yeah. Um, Oh gosh. When we get to Amber Spyglass stuff, Louis. I can't wait. Are they all just going to be prancing around in heaven? Who is to say? uh, (laughs) uh, A war on God. What an idea, eh? Yeah. And frankly, if I had to make a TV show in which people had to do that, I would be terrified. Especially for BBC on a Sunday night. (laughs) Yes. Um, But we do get in these moments, Mrs. Coulter and Lord Asriel together. Oh, my God. Yeah. What's that? Oh, my God for? Not because he's going to go and wage a war on him. It was so good to see them on screen. Finally. I totally believe their old relationship. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I I wish there'd been... Maybe it's good that there's only just that one short Mm. scene. But there is a sort of... They're they're in love with one another still. Yeah, and I really, really believe that. And what I also believe that I think is such a challenge, considering what we've seen her do, I believe that Mrs. Coulter loves Lyra. Oh, for sure. yeah. What, like what a 180 we've done on these two. Like episode one, the way that Miss uh, Ruth Wilson blasts through the door and we think, God, she's a nasty one. She's pure evil. Mm. And the way that Lord Asriel bounds off on his adventure and we admire him. And we have a sense of which one is the real lovable parental figure and which one is the nasty one. And we we totally changed on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love 
the sort of the camera panned out and there was a wide shot and before um Asriel and Mrs. Coulter had their big reunion kiss, their demons were caressing mm. and entwined with one another, and that was a powerful image, I think. Yeah. Because they just have that memory. Their demons have that sort of muscle memory already that this is what they ref- they refer back to straight away. Yeah. No matter how how many years or whatever have passed. But they do still go their separate ways. Yeah. And then we are left on either side of the world. Lyra dealing with the death of Roger. Mm-hmm. Um, having to leave him there, which mm. is quite horrible. The sight of just that, that splayed kid I, w- I wish i wish lyra had heard mrs coulter choose her over going with mm. asriel into the new other worlds yeah um because she said she says i want her with everything i have yeah it's powerful yeah powerful stuff that i was worried we wouldn't quite get the payoff of mm. and i really think we do yeah. um i think that attachment between lyra and mrs coulter has kind of crept up through the series yeah to the point of being absolutely believable here but Lyra says that dust needs protecting. Mm. And that's the note that we leave the world on. That that is why she should step through the door to Pan protect Pan has dust. his like, more sort of like wise comments. Mm. I feel like Pan is a, he is the, he is the god. Pan is. He knows everything. <laughs> it's like he can see the future. So is, is Lord Asriel waging war <laughs> against, against Pan? No, but Pan is like... He knows exactly what to say, when to prompt her. He doesn't put it exactly, the words in her mouth, but he, you know, urges her towards what needs to be done. Because mm. she, do, she doesn't really want to be going through that portal. But remember, Ly- Lyra, Lyra and Pan are one. So is, one, is, it, is yeah. it really Pan yeah. saying that or is it just... No, I like to think that the demons have their own agency as well. That's an idea that may well be explored five books later. Um but dust does need protecting and considering what we've learned about dust in this episode and how much people are willing to wage war on account of it. I love that we have this kid just before puberty heading out literally beyond her own world to just protect that. Mm. Amazing. Does that great visual of holding pan and just walking through yeah and we end with these cuts between will on one side because he's found the portal as well yeah yeah what, so- a, what a coincidence he just happens to stumble how big is oxford quite big yeah. he's just happening to happens to be loitering around that exact same park yeah <laughs> but he does yeah on his, on his escape from the police and he steps through the portal and lyra steps through the bridge and beyond who knows what louis what do you think got any idea what might be happening next on his dark materials a new dimension a new dimension like that episode of simpsons when homer goes into a new dimension (laughs) (laughs) i think that's from a treehouse of horror one oh is it yeah i think that's what's gonna happen right okay and they're suddenly going to go... Well, in that one, Homer goes 3D. So mm. do they go 2D? Flat Stanley. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so season two, Dark Materials, all 2D flat animation. Yeah. Absolutely. You heard it here first, mm-hmm. folks. What a journey we've been on. Ultimately, my quest with doing this show with you was bringing people here and to get you excited about his Dark Materials, what might be happening, what might mm-hmm. be at play. And also... um as someone to bounce my expectations of and my yeah. feelings of. Is this TV show a success? I have a big truth bomb. Yeah? Whether or not it's a, it's a success is maybe by the by. Because everyone is so busy nowadays. We are both very busy people. But doing this podcast has meant that every week we will carve out like at least two hours I mean, we haven't always been able to watch the show together, but yeah, at least two hours where we will be doing something that we can share together that's not to do with what we have to do every in all our regular life. Yeah. And we get to connect and we get to, we've had amazing guests on and I've got to make them nice dinners and we've been able to, you know, 
yeah, just connect with other people. And I, I hope the listeners and people who watch on Sundays have had the same sort of experience. So what you're saying, Louis, is it's all about the journey. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it has been a success. Yeah. Yeah. Now, before we say farewell to the listeners, we must go into the most important part of the show, the most therapeutic part where we discover our inner demons. So we've been on a on a journey throughout eight episodes, eight weeks, to see what my demon would be, when it would settle, what would it settle into. There has been many suggestions, both from you and from our guests, uh, whether that is Taylor Swift cat from Cats. No. Mountain Goat. No. Black Skink. No. Brad the Cat. Brad the Cat from Over the Road. No. Robin from last week yeah but none of those have quite fit no um and it doesn't mean we need to settle now lyra's pan hasn't settled either um but i thought this week maybe i'd take a stab at it well the thing is you do know me quite well yeah i'd say you probably know me the most of anyone ever apart from my myself so i've been thinking um you've had a bit of a loss this week Okay, where is this um, going? And someone very close to you bled out, and that it's getting very dark. That person you shared a bed with. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to tell the listeners so who I'm talking about? So it's getting quite intimate. Yeah, and it's not me. It's not Jake. Listeners, don't get any interesting ideas about any extra bedfellows we might have. Because this is something else. Okay, so last year I was given a, a hot water bottle for Christmas by my, my parents. And um, it was quite a normal Christmas gift. But it was the hot water bottle to end all hot water bottles. Okay, so it was a small... I've been calling it a wolf. Yeah. But I think it might be a husky. And I think if you Google it, they're called hotties. So they're sort of in between a stuffed animal and a hot water bottle. So this thing is, was, R.I.P. Yeah, So the, and the seal on yeah, it. Yeah, and the hot water bottle broke from too much use. So now it just leaks. But it was just perfect because because it was a like a soft animal, a, a stuffed animal. Its, it's tummy was padded, so it wasn't too hot. Because often I find the hot water bottles are too hot. Whereas this one See, wasn't. And if we think that a demon is a part of you that understands you so much, yeah. only a certain kind of hot water bottle would understand that you individually find a normal hot water bottle too exactly. hot. And so it would give itself a little stomach podge <laughs> so that it's perfect for you. So I, I, It was so well insulated that sometimes in the morning I'd wake up and it was still warm. Yeah. So I've been thinking... <gasps> And that scene where Lyra's with Roger's dead body and she's caressing his cheek and she says, it's still warm. And that was you on the on the night that we realised that Wolfie the Hot Water Bottle seal had <laughs> broken. Don't tell people its name. It has a name. His don't... name. <laughs> <laughs> Call him by his name. His name is Wolfie. <laughs> anyway, um, I thought, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and resuscitate him with some sort of Frankenstein-esque operations and we'll see how that goes uh so i've been thinking wolfie may he rest may he rest in peace this is so stupid (laughs) Uh, i'm a 26 year old woman almost 27 he was petite for a husky Mm -hmm. yeah but he he still had a sense of size about him he was well-rounded for such a small being and so he had presence he did I propose to you, Louis, mm-hmm. your demon is the Swedish Valhund. I like it. A Swedish Valhund looks like this. I'm going to close my eyes and tell me when to open them. You can open them. <gasps> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. It's amazing. What is it? Is it a cor- It's Okay. So it's Corgi-esque. No tail, a lovely salt and pepper fur. 
happy, happy face. Jay, tell me more about this. <gasps> yeah, okay. So I'm, Swedish I'm... Valhund is kind of like, imagine a husky, but condensed. Like you've got a scale factor of maybe a third of a normal husky, but it's got that corgi uh, kind of more powerful bone structure to it. It's a slightly wider boy. Um, and I thought this would be a kind of real life substitute for a wolfie for you. I'm, I could cry. <laughs> Maybe that means I found my demon. Maybe. Um, but we've still got so much more to go. There is so much more of his dark materials to go as well. And it's been such a pleasure exploring the world and worlds of Dark Materials with you and with you, the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been so lovely. Who knows what might lie ahead? Uh, Louis and I will be carving our thoughts to the subtlest point possible before Series 2. And maybe you'll hear from us before then. Maybe. But for now, thank you so much for joining us on Dustbusters. Dustbusters is produced by Jake Cunningham. The music is by Dan Yakano, and we are edited by Jamie Maisner. The credits are read by me, Louisa Maycock. <laughs>